let me ask you as we begin, are you quiet on the inside? Uh, Metaphorically speaking, are you like a quiet meadow? Are you like a still lake? Or even are you like a quiet, contented, sleeping baby? Is that you on the inside? Let's assume for a moment that you did feel that you needed to quieten yourself down on the inside. What might you do? I suppose we'd all say we'd probably try and turn our electrical devices off, probably. Could you do that? Stop the, the bleeping and the, and the chirping for a, a little while. Maybe you'd delete the Facebook, the Twitter, the Instagram, if you know what any of those things are. <laughs> or maybe you'd just go for a quiet walk in the West White. Would you be quiet on the inside then, do you think? I suspect those would all be great things to do. But I think we'd still be noisy on the inside, wouldn't we? There's a constant chatter, isn't there? Almost endless chatter, and some of it so very, very anxious on the inside. But here, in this very short psalm, blink and you'd miss it, look at the extraordinary thing that is said in verse 2. I have calmed... And quieted my soul, says this psalmist. Wow. One commentator describes what this means. This man isn't noisy on the inside. He isn't busy, busy, busy. Not obsessed. Not on edge. The to-do lists and pressures to achieve don't consume him. This is what he's saying. Ambition doesn't churn inside. Failure and despair don't haunt him. Anxiety isn't spinning him into free fall in the endless chatter inside. He isn't preoccupied thinking what to say next. Regrets don't corrode his inner experience. Irritation and dissatisfaction don't devour him. He isn't stumbling through the minefield of blind longings and fears. He's quiet. He's content. Now that gets me in the gut. (laughs) I want that. And especially as I notice the heading of this psalm, you spot that, a song of ascent of David. These are the words of of a busy king, probably in his heyday, leading the nation. So here's a guy who says, I'm quiet on the inside. And it can't be escapism. No, he's a he's a. Is he king? It can't be just his personality. He's very clear to say, this this is something remarkable that's happened to me. It can't be retreat or retirement. There's no room to that. And it can't be the supposed peace of crashing on the sofa with a beer or with a glass of wine. It can't be uh, a cup of chamomile tea. For David, there's constant commotions, relationships, building projects, battles, of course. But in this psalm, we find that he finds real inner calm. Here is a psalm of calm. And I think it's wonderfully placed, you know, in this little series, these songs of ascent. You remember we've been working through them. Uh, They're the songbook that the people of God used on their way to Jerusalem to celebrate the great feasts and festivals. And they kind of work like a little discipleship manual. And if you look back, we saw in... Psalm 129, 
the psalmist talk about suffering greatly. And last time we saw in Psalm 130, the psalmist awakened to his guilt and, and saying, I need to hope in the Lord. You know, that's not the only thing that's awakened in our suffering and our struggles in life, is it? A close associate of guilt is anxiety, isn't it? And Psalm 130 ended with these words, O Israel, hope in the Lord. Well, this morning we need to hear those again. For us, with that chatter and that noise and that worry. So here's a psalm that's going to take us from noise to quiet, from restlessness to calm. It's short, it's punchy. Charles Spurgeon said of this psalm, it's one of the shortest psalms to read, but one of the longest psalms to learn. So we better make a start then, hadn't we? Uh, There's three verses, and there's three things to see about how we can gain inner calm. Notice first then, pride renounced. Notice firstly, pride renounced in verse one. Look at verse one. The psalmist says, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvellous for me. Now there's a surprise here. You see what the psalmist says in verse two. I've calmed myself. I've quieted my soul. And so you think the reason for that is because they've said, I've decided against anxiety. I've decided against anxiety. And so I'm calm. But that's not what this psalm says, is it? The The psalm starts, I have decided against pride. And it's pretty emphatic, isn't it? He addresses the Lord and he says, my heart is not, my eyes are not, I will not, I do not occupy myself with things too great for me. The psalmist is saying, I'm in a new state where pride is renounced. I'll have nothing to do with it anymore. In all the ways pride appears in my life, I've cut ties. Me and pride are finished. And it comes out in in different ways, doesn't it? There's pride in the heart here, look. He says, my heart, my heart is not lifted up. The heart in the Bible is where it is the the seat of human personality. It's where we do our thinking and our feeling and our wanting. The proud, we have our hearts lifted up. We say, I am somebody and I want some things and, and that's good and that's okay. And I can trust myself and I can do this. And we have our opinions and we follow them and we're headstrong. I'm absorbed in myself. But here this psalmist, you see how they, they bring their heart that might have been lifted high and they bring it into submission. My heart will not be lifted up. I, I won't think too highly of myself anymore. I'll not overestimate myself. And then look, there's the eyes as well, isn't there? In these verses, my eyes are not raised too high. What the heart wants, the eyes look to get. And our pride inside says, I want, I want, I want, I want. No wonder we're often so noisy on the inside. And our eyes don't just want to 
look for stuff for us. Our eyes also like to, to look down on others in our pride, don't, don't they? See, pride isn't just about me and overestimate, overestimating me. It's also about looking down on others. The proud person compares, competes, never content, always planning to outdo and outperform. And all that comparison creates a lot of noise. So the psalmist says, I've renounced pride. Good riddance. But look also, there's the proud person's occupations. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvellous for me, says the psalmist. See, us in our pride, we don't just overestimate ourselves, but we also overreach. Some people say these verses, uh, this, this last bit here, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvellous for me. Some people say, this is the proud, you know the, the way the proud like to have the, the opinion that matters. You know, they, they've worked everything out, they've got everything sussed, and they're the expert. Um, and they often talk about things they can never solve, you know, maybe it's philosophy, theology, politics. And this person says, I, I won't be like that. And, 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 and maybe that's what, what's going on here. And sure, proud people often make a lot of hot air. I don't think they often make a lot of inner noise, actually. I, I think there's a subtlety to this. I, I don't occupy myself with things that are too marvellous for, for me. Here's what Christian counsellor David Powlison says about this verse. Things too marvellous for me. What, what's that about here? What are these things? He says, even the small everyday things that everyone races after are in fact beyond us. From your daily bread to your abilities and opportunities, these are gifts from God that you don't control. And he says, think, think about something every day that you, you try and go after. What, what happens, for example, when you try and control another person? Bend them to your will. We often want people to change their minds and do what we want. That's <laughs> what we do proudly all the time. What happens? You set yourself up for ugly things. Despair at people. Rage with people. Anxiety. Short-lived euphoria when they do something you actually want. Disaster when they don't. Or it's just suspicion of people. Or you end up manipulating them. And we can't make people do what we want. That's what the psalmist is deciding against here. What, what happens when you attempt to ensure in your pride that you won't get sick or die? That's an everyday thing we long for, isn't it? Can we achieve it? No. And what happens when we go after that? We become obsessed with dieting and exercise. We might become complaining and litigious towards our doctors. Or you might just be plagued with the nagging fear that that pain inside is the fine, finally the one that will get you. See, it creates a lot of noise, doesn't it? Well, what happens when we're proudly obsessed with getting people to like us? That's a common one, isn't it? Well, we, we become sort of flirtatious. In a way, we sort of chat people up, try and get them to like us. Or we become artificial. We're not really real at all with people. We're just trying to get them to, to like us. We become a coward, a deceiver, a regular chameleon. You see, there are lots of things in everyday life that are too marvellous for us, that we're not supposed to pursue. And it creates a lot of noise. Pride makes us go after things that are impossible for us. And the psalmist says, 
I'm going to renounce that. I'm not going to go after that anymore. In our pride, we try and control and get everything that we want for ourselves. And when we discover that we can't, no wonder we're anxious. When we live as if everything depends on us, no wonder we're such a mess inside. And so the first move is to renounce pride. And when we do, we'll find relief. Some of you know, um, might know that I quite like to dance. <laughs> You know, at, at, a, at, a, at a wedding or a birthday bash or something like that. Some of you, I think, like to dance too. And um, if you've been around at a, a disco or a wedding party at any time in the last 20 years, I reckon you've probably heard the song Reach for the Stars by S Club 7. And I think you jump. Are you supposed to jump and reach for the stars in that, in that song? I'm not sure that's really dancing, but there we go. That, that's the world we swim in, isn't it? That is the mantra of our times. Isn't that a little unnerving? That we should assume that, that everything that we want to go after, that we should get, and that it's okay for us to strive and try and get them. No wonder we're anxious. No wonder, apparently, that one in three people today, uh, one in three adults, struggle with anxiety. Now, maybe you're here this morning saying, okay, I kind of get this, Ollie. But I'm not a Christian, I've got lots of questions about this, and what I'm hearing you say is I've got to give up what I want. Well, what am I going to live my life for if I've got to renounce the things that I, that I want? What's, what's the point? Well, let me say, <laughs> that's still an opinion where we're, we're putting ourselves at the centre of the universe. What is my life and my world about if it's not for me? But assume for a moment that there is a God that exists who cares for you and I. A God who has ordered everything in this world just right. Things that we can achieve and things that we can't. Things that we should go after and things that we shouldn't. If there was a God like that, wouldn't it be possible that he could reorder our, our desires and our longings and our wants? If, if only we'd engage with him. Wouldn't it be possible that we could find relief with him? That we could say, I don't need such lofty ambitions. I don't need to aim for things I can never get. And wouldn't it be possible if there were such a God that we could find real satisfaction with him? Friends, that is just the way this world is. And so when we renounce our pride, we can find quiet. But let me ask you today, are you quiet on the inside? I think the answer for all of us will be, no, I'm not quiet on the inside. If that's the answer, let me ask you, what is the noise? What is the noise? And how does it look like the things we see in this first verse? How does it look like overestimating myself and what I should go after and what I should achieve? How does it look like overreaching for things? This is a great question. This is a very important question because in this psalm, we can't move from verse 1 to verse 2 without the answer, without working these things through. But, but if we do, look what happens in verse 2. Second thing to notice this morning, composure is found. Now that pride's renounced, something else can happen. Look at verse 2, look what the psalmist says, but I have calmed and quieted my soul, like a weaned child with its mother, 
like a weaned child is my soul within me. This psalmist says, literally, I've calmed myself down. I've composed myself. The noise has stopped. And I, and I look at that and I just go, oh, wow, if, I, if only that was me, that would just be amazing. But the thing gets even more shocking when you look at how he describes his calm. See, he said, um, it's like a weaned child. He's like a weaned child now. And I'm scratching my head going, okay, what, what's, what's that all about? Well, think about it like this. Imagine a, a relatively newborn child. We've got a few of them knocking around at Grace Church at the moment. And you know with a newborn child, if they're sat with their mum, sometimes they're hungry. Sometimes they're not hungry. <laughs> but um, being around mum, they might get a sense that uh, dinner is nearby, that they can have mum's milk. And so babies will thrash around. They'll make a lot of noise and get demanding. But the image here says that once a baby is weaned, once they've had real solid food, once they've seen that they don't need mum's milk anymore, at that point they're able to sit with mum calmly and contentedly just with her. Not thrashing around. They're calm. And the psalmist says, this is what has happened to them. You know, the images that, that you were, that I was, that we are thrashing around. I need this. I want this. I must have this. And we're like a whirlwind of messy desires and chaos. And crying. But then you can be weaned. And it, weaning is noisy, isn't it? Trying to get kids to eat food. And eat that instead. It's messy, it's loud, there's lots of crying. But when you come through it, you can say, those things I thought I needed, I, I, turns out I don't need them. They were really just pride. You see, I, I don't need my identity validated by all the people I, I thought I did. I don't need to achieve that career goal. I don't need this life ambition. I don't need this or that comfort. What I actually need is the love of my heavenly father. That's, that's really all I need. And you know, when that happens to us, we can find composure. We can be quieted down. And then we can start to see that the noise and the talk in our heads for what it really is. Steve, um, when he heard I was going to preach on Psalm 131, gave me this little book, which is based on this psalm. It's called Anxiety and Me. And there's some lovely things in this psalm, many of which have made their way into this sermon this morning. Uh, the, the guy who writes this little book says, anxiety says to us, you should be doing more. You must have this under control. You mustn't let anyone down. You must not be lazy. You must not fail. And what makes it even worse is that that talk in our heads also adds a sting in the tail. You must do better or you'll be a failure and see how things get noisier then. You must have control or it'll all go wrong again. That's why our noise is so dreadful. But look, see what happens when the pride part comes out. <laughs> must I do better? Must I? 
Must I have control? No, says the psalmist, I'm not going to be proud. No, I don't need control. I don't need to do better. I can't always do better. I'm just a creature. And I can't control a great many things. I'm not God. You see, when pride is renounced, there's this unique moment to find calm. A chance for our restlessness to move toward calm. And the author says this can happen, right? You, You can be listening to that inner talk that says you should be doing more. And when we say, actually, no, I, no, I shouldn't, we can start to hear the good news of the Lord Jesus. It's not you should be doing more, it's Jesus has done it all for you. It's not you have got to get this under control, it's God has got all things in his hands. It's not you must make sure you're not letting anyone down. We can start to hear, you're saved by grace alone. It's not you must not be lazy, but when we see the love of Jesus, when we're calmed down, when the pride goes, we can hear that we're loved no matter what we do. Those words, you must not fail. We can now start to hear you are loved no matter how you fare. Isn't that wonderful? For some of us, those examples that I've picked out might be exactly the ones you need to hear this morning. If that's so, please, please drink that in. It's true, though, isn't it? We're always thinking about what we should be doing, what we're doing, how well we're doing, how much of it we're doing. And it's like all of it matters so much because we're so important. Our pride tells us we've got to be this kind of person. This is what we should be. But, you know, when we kick that pride out, we can start to hear what we are in Jesus. That we're loved beyond compare. That we're loved not based on ourselves, but all because of him. He chose to set his affection on us. And friends, I think we see that in this psalm. Read this psalm with me and just think for a moment of the Lord Jesus Christ. Imagine the Lord Jesus saying, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I won't occupy myself with things too marvellous for me. Imagine Jesus saying that. Well, he did, didn't he? I won't fight for my position. Though I am the divine son of God, though I am the king of heaven, I will go down to them. And when offered another way, what would he say? As he was tempted by Satan, you remember that? I'll give you the world, says Satan, without the cross. And Jesus says, no, I'll trust my father. That's impossible. I'll trust him. I won't follow your way of pride. But I've calmed and quieted my soul. Are those words spoken of by Jesus? Remember the Garden of Gethsemane? On his knees, tears as blood with the anguish of the cross before him, but he calmed his soul, didn't he? He said, I will drink the cup. Father, if it's your will, I'll do it. He was content in his father. And he was calm and he was quiet, wasn't he? What does the Bible say of what the Lord Jesus did? He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. He didn't open his mouth. 
The Lord Jesus was nailed to the cross. He laid down in the grave, content in his father so that we could be content in the father. And friends, as Jesus is raised from the dead, there is hope for us, isn't there? And all those impossible things that we chase after, we'll never get them ourselves in our pride. But Jesus died on the cross that we might find forgiveness and security and love and satisfaction and life forevermore with him. And there's so much in our heads and our hearts that we long for and we go after. But Jesus says the words of this psalm, he lives them out for us. So that one day we'll have every good thing and every longing satisfied in him in the new creation. So look, the psalmist finds composure. And friends, we we can find this quiet. I'm not going to pretend that it will be easy. But we can find it. And we can find it uniquely here. There is no other place in all of the world where we can find quiet and composure. But here there is a way. You can be like a satisfied, contented child in their mother's arms. Now imagine that. Just pause for a moment. Imagine that. Do you want it? Do you want it? Then this psalm should be very precious to each and every one of us, shouldn't it? The psalm ends. And look, I'd just like to see as it ends how we see hope is on the move. This psalm ends with a call, doesn't it? Look. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. It's like David says at the end, he says, from now on, from this time forth, from now on, things are going to be different. I'm going to hope in the Lord, says David, and I'm calling on you to do the same. He calls on the people, let's make today a new day. Let's make today the day where we draw a line under all that noise. And we say, Father, I am going to renounce the pride that led to that noise. Today's going to be new and I'm going to hope in you for those things. That's the challenge of these verses. Hope is on the move. Uh, And notice, by the way, just how we arrived at this hope here. Right? David doesn't say in this psalm, I'm an amazing person. I've quieted my soul. I wasn't really very noisy in the first place, to be honest. So, you know, follow my lead. No, here's a psalm that comes from someone who's had the noise and the stress and the mess that everyone's had, and he's found composure. And he's lighting a candle, as it were, and he's passing it on to us. Hope here is on the move. In the immediate context of debilitating noise comes hope. And I think that's just thrilling for us this morning. Because I think a lot of us here today will often be saying to ourselves, I can, I can barely carry my own burdens, let alone anyone else's. There is so much noise in me, I can't engage with anyone else. But here is David, and he's just about been taken through the noise, and he's calmed his soul, and he might think like he can't do anything for anyone. But he calls on us to hope in the Lord. It's a wonderful reminder that as fragile and as frail as we might feel in our anxiety, God can use us and be at work. Hope in the Bible is on the move from me to you to from these scriptures from David to us in ways that we would never believe. Maybe one week you, um, you show up at church and the truth is, really, it was a miracle that you even got up and had some breakfast. 
Uh, Maybe, actually, it really was a miracle that you got dressed that day. Maybe it was a miracle that you stepped out of the front door. And you get to church, and you don't speak to anyone, and you go home, and you think, wasn't that a waste of time? But you don't know the full story, do you? You never know the whole story. We don't know the whole story to the background of this psalm either, do we? And you don't know how often it is that just by showing your face in church, people see you and are encouraged. I know some of the things. We know know some of the things that are going on in each other's lives. We may not know everything, but we know some of the things. And what a joy and encouragement it is. If someone isn't lifted up and encouraged by something that goes on in church, it could be just your face that lifts them up. Your struggles and perseverance matter, no matter how weak. When you find hope in the Lord, that hope goes on the move. And hope goes on the move from this passage to us. And you know, if you, you show up in church and you're feeling weak and you have a conversation with someone, maybe the Lord blesses you that you do. But what can happen? I think the guy in this book says, you might meet someone who, who's never been in the midst of the valley. And you can show them, well, the valley exists. Uh, And that's okay. And if someone's stuck in the valley, you can remind them that there's a way out. And if someone sees the hope that you've got, it can remind them that they're not on their own. Or someone might see the hope that you've got, and it might remind them not to become a victim and not to be stuck in the darkness. You see, here there's that tiny bit of hope in this punchy little psalm but it moves out to us. And I think it does so because it's wonderful, beautiful, confident hope. I think this is the last thing I want to say this morning. David says, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. That sounds pretty punchy, doesn't it? From this time forth and forevermore. Like, how can David have that kind of confidence? Well, he has that confidence because he knows that God has got this time And all the time in between now and forevermore, God has got all of that in his hands. And God has given his son for us. This psalm began, just notice this, the psalm began with the words, O Lord. And the psalm ends, verse 3, look, O Israel, hope in the Lord. This very psalm is wrapped up in the name of the Lord. And it's like David subtly wants to say to us, From this time forth and forevermore, you are in the grasp of a loving heavenly father and his love and control and his care will never end. And so your hope doesn't need to either. Hope in the Lord. You can't control the world around you. But you know the one who does. So by the end of this psalm, hope is on the move. That wonderful for us with our noisy hearts to hear. Will hope be on the move from our hearts? Will it move out for us? There's a challenge for us. How can we live out this psalm? How can we put the words of this psalm into a sentence to share with someone else? How how would you do that? As we close, think on these questions. We started by saying, are you quiet on the inside? Are you the meadow, the lake, the contented child? It's a moment to reflect. What's the noise then inside you? Where are you telling yourself to achieve more? How are you telling yourself to reach out for more, to acquire more? 
What appetites do you tell yourself you need to fulfill? There's a lot of noise out there, but there's a lot of noise inside us, isn't it? And it stems from our pride. But this psalm tells us we can find quiet with God our Father. We can have hope. Hope on the move. Calm on the inside. And all of that is a gift from our Heavenly Father. I think this psalm reminds us in the end that all we ever needed was him anyway. Shall we pray? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we want to declare today that you are good. We want to say that your goodness is bigger than our anxiety. And so we can be calm. We can trust in you. And we can have hope. And Father, I just want to pray that we would be a church family that encourages that hope amongst us when it's hard, when we're weak, even then. Pray this in Jesus' strong and mighty name. Amen.